Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football. Another Sunbelt edition coming to you here. Your host, as always, Adam Luckett. I believe this is episode nine on the podcast, so thank all of you all for listening and uh, dropping us reviews. We really appreciate it. And if you haven't, make sure you hit that subscribe button there on iTunes and uh, just let us know how we're doing, whether it's in the comment section on the site or if you could drop us a review on iTunes, that'd be really appreciated. So we'll get it to it today. Today's episode is really going to be focusing on Texas State, the team from San Marcos who finished winless in conference play last year. Everett Withers is entering year two there in a program's coming off a 2-10 season, really a kind of an ugly year if you don't include that opening win at Ohio. So, and there have been some off the, I guess, some off the field issues or just some culture issues at the program. So we're we're just going to really talk about the state of the Bobcats right now and how they've gotten to this point and what they're going to do moving forward. So with us today is our guy Vidal Espinosa, who is our Texas State uh, beat writer there at Underdog Dynasty. Vidal, welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Glad you could join us here. Uh, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. It's uh... It's a pleasure to be on the uh, podcast. It's very exciting. Never done this before, so I'm looking forward to uh, talking a little Texas State football. Absolutely. We're only a couple weeks away, and of course, Texas State opens up with FCS Houston Baptist on that Labor Day Saturday. So it's looking like they should get off to a 1-0 start, but really to begin this, we'll talk about how did Texas State really get here. I believe they joined the FBS and I think it was 2011 as an independent. And then they hired uh, Dennis Francione, the former Texas A&M head coach, to run their program. So what really happened towards the end of that Francione era as they entered FBS, and how did we get to the coaching change? Dennis Francione, uh, it's it's actually his second go-around with Texas State. He coached them in 90 and 91 when they were Southwest Texas. But the second uh, go-around, as they were transitioning to the uh, FBS, was it was very exciting, and Texas State actually did very well. I believe it was in year two they went six and six, and were bowl eligible. But of course, there weren't enough uh, bowls to go around. And then the next year, in 2013, they went seven and five, but did not get a bowl bid, despite being the only seven-win team in the country without a bowl bid. And the next year, 2015, just kind of went uh, kind of went downhill. It just went a downward spiral. So they went, ended up going three and five and only two and six in conference play. It, it seemed that, I guess, the results they were looking for were not found, basically, because it was a – it just seemed like they didn't want to – the players did not really want to win – it seemed like at times a lot of games were winnable, and it just seems they just kind of collapsed at the end, or they just didn't show up at all. And that's what just kind of defined that 2015 season. Uh, there were a lot of hopes going into that season, hopes that we would get a our first bowl bid. Uh, it did not go as planned. Then really a week before, so Dennis Francione uh, stepped down in December of 15 retired and so we were left with a big boy we had a basically a brand new program an um, fbs play and no one to to lead them and so the coaching rumors kind of were swirling all over social media and just fans talking about it there was names such as lincoln riley the ou's offensive coordinator uh even houston nut but the big uh, rumors at the time were Major Applewhite and former Iowa State coach Paul Rhodes. And it seemed like Paul Rhodes was in the running. Um, Texas State couldn't, I believe, give enough uh, money to Major Applewhite. So that's what everyone thought. And then right out of left field, they had another candidate that they weren't mentioning, and that happened to be uh, James Madison coach Everett Withers. And so the announcement was made and a lot of people were pretty much stunned. Not 
a disappointing stun, but and not really a exciting kind of uh, stunning reaction. But once he got here, you know, everyone just started doing their research about who he was, and things started to come out, and uh, that's who we ended up with. Let's get back to the end of the Frangioni era. Were the fans there at Texas State? Did they think he did a good job for the most part? Were they supportive in him leaving and the school making the change? Towards the end, he was. It was kind of a toss up between the the 2015 failure. People wanted him out. Uh, people also believed that. I guess his he had never really instilled any leadership into the players and. So towards the end, people were the majority of people were want, wanting him out because te- they saw Texas State as having so much more potential to have someone lead their team with more of a you know an example of leadership. And so I think at the time people were really down on Dennis Franchione, despite him having a couple of winning seasons and some success at the you know, the beginning of, of FBS play. But now you never really hear his name mentioned and you never really hear anything bad about him. So in the end, I guess the legacy, I guess, of Dennis Franchione's second go-around at Texas State wasn't bad. It wasn't good. He did a decent job of ushering us from FCS to FBS. But at the time, yes, people wanted him out. Of Sam Argus. So we make the we make the change from Francione to Withers, uh-huh. and last year it's just a really really bad season uh, for the Bobcats. Uh-huh. They go two and ten. They had an impressive win, like I said earlier, against Ohio to open the season. Go zero and eight in Sun Belt play, and really have some games where they really get beat down pretty bad. And during the season, I believe Withers talked about how they had to make some culture changes and. It's appeared he ran some guys off the team and kind of had no kind of senior leadership. Is from a, the fans' perspective, is that more on Franchione's staff not recruiting well, or is that kind of on Withers' staff for not relating to the players? Uh, well, 2016 was a it was a the season was kind of unusual in the in the fact that uh, I had mentioned earlier before they they didn't hire. Everett Withers, so, uh, I think it was close to a week before they could start uh, recruiting. So in all fairness, Everett Withers did not have the time to go out and look for his own players like he probably wanted to. So the roster that was left for him from the Francione era, or who, who was left, uh, was kind of bare. The cupboard was bare, and so he didn't have a lot to work with. And so you talked about the culture change and the people. Uh, I guess he, you know, ran off. And Francione was the coach. wasn't a lot of leadership on the field. Had a lot of good players, uh, but I think what Withers was looking for were people that fit this uh, mold that of success, both on and off the field, and. Uh, you know, people to step up, and I don't think a lot of those people fit the mold. So, to answer your question, I think it was more of he was dealing a lot with people Francione had brought in, and he did his best with what he had throughout the season. Uh, the people that were left on the the players that were left on the roster, there was a, a ton of rotation going around, basically uh, just to see what the talent was like and who could, you know, help out the program in the future. He talked about here at Media Day, kind of like you were saying, players that weren't really there didn't have, I guess, the winning attitude that him and the staff were looking for. He called it uh, dis- getting the disheartened and disinterested out of our program, and which makes sense if you're trying to, you know, kind of just clear house just to get your guys in there. But then they had two transfers, uh, Mississippi State quarterback Damian Williams, who is a grad transfer, one of the guys, one of the guys Withers recruited. Then I believe Kentucky wide receiver transfer TV Williams, who sat out last year, was also a guy Withers recruited. And then you got guys like that that even he's bringing in that are getting you know suspended 
and it was kind of quiet. It just happened randomly. He just told everybody, I guess, the first day of training camp. So, I mean, what was the fans – I'm guessing what I'm getting to is what is the fans' really reaction to even some of his players now are not being good parts of the program. And then I know Williams especially had some high expectations going into this year as he was going to give, it seemed, give Texas State uh, some dy- possibly dynamic playmaking from that quarterback spot, something that they greatly missed last year. Um, well, at, at, at first glance, it seemed kind of disastrous because there was quite a bit of – quite a bit – a big list at the beginning of – of uh, the fall practice of players that were not going to be there. And, of course, like the people you mentioned, uh, T.V. Williams. and With Damian Williams, uh, since he's a grad transfer, he, he had not taken the GRE yet. And so he took it last week, and the results won't come back for another week and a half, two weeks. So that was his issue. Why it wasn't, I guess, taken, the GRE wasn't taken before, I'm not really sure. Uh, well, with TV Williams, his grades uh, were not good enough, and I think he he has a chance to raise them during the fall, and he could uh, rejoin the team uh, somewhere in the first court, first half of the season. So with those two, it's uh, it's basically academic stuff. Uh, with Damian Williams's issues, simple. He just needs to pass this test. His uh, reactions on Twitter, he seems pretty confident about it. So passes then uh, the quarterback situation that everyone was worried about because uh, uh, we have four incoming or four freshmen uh, quarterbacks that are also in the wings who if Damian Williams does not pass the, the GRE, they would be thrust into there into the spotlight and rebuilding again under center. Okay, so that's some good news then that they're just, especially for Williams, that he's just a test score away. And then that uh, TV, or I guess both I got some specifiers too, Williams. Damian Williams is just a test score away, and TV Williams just kind of got to get his grades up. But also, Stedman Mayberry, the leading rusher off of last year's team, um, has left, I believe has left the program. Yes, he has. Yeah, it's, it hasn't been real clear about why he left. Uh, Withers uh, said at a uh, press conference, that he uh, left to focus on his career and said it's probably because there was so much competition for the starting running back role this year, or at least uh, significant carries. So it's unsure if he's going to transfer or if his playing days are over. Uh, He did show a lot of potential last year, which was kind of disappointing to hear that he wasn't going to be on the the team. He did show a lot of potential uh, despite a lackluster offensive line in 2016. Moving forward, one thing Withers and his staff seem to be doing really well is recruiting, I believe, for the 24-7 composite. They had the number one class in the Sun Belt this past uh, recruiting period. Uh, are the fans, do they have pretty high expectations for some of the true freshmen that are coming in? I know they got to see some true a lot of true freshmen play last year, and some really flashed, most notably Brian London at inside linebacker. It's really exciting to hear about getting the number one recruiting class in the Sun Belt this year. The only uh, it's not really a worrisome issue, but of course with the loss or dismissal injuries a lot of these players are going to be thrust into the starting role right off, right out of the gate. And so of course, you know true freshmen, you know, they're going to make mistakes, of course. And there is a lot of there is a lot of hope and excitement that Withers has this clean slate that he can work with of, of players and he can mold them to how he wants them to perform, develop them not only as players but as people. And uh, there is a lot of talent that they did recruit. I know the ranking is just the number, but looking at film, a lot of these a lot of these guys are, are very talented and bring a lot to the table. And so it, it'll be exciting to see uh, the hungriest of who we have already on the roster and these incoming freshmen and how they can impact winning some some belt games. Damian Williams doesn't get, you know, ready to go. We could be seeing a true freshman in that quarterback uh, for the Bobcats next year. Yeah, if, uh, if Damian Williams isn't good to go, um, like I said, there's four freshman quarterbacks. 
to work with uh, Ever Withers uh, through fall practice really likes Willie Jones the third he's a very versatile athlete Jalen Gibson is probably the more developed of the quarterbacks uh, but he has uh, he's still learning college game is a lot different than high school so he's still learning a, a few of the fundamentals and you know just trying to get in sync with the the offense and so I think if Damien's not good to go we have a few options it won't be as hopeful as far as wins with Damien Williams at quarterback but you know we, we do have we do have some some people to fall back on there's a lot of young promising athletes in that up incoming class and then there's some promising you know sophomores that saw the field last year that should only get better with a year of play under their belt but one thing that really plagued the Bobcats last year was really just play on the line of scrimmage both sides of the ball and then it got leaked out that I believe a few of the JUCO offensive linemen that Texas State was going to be leaning on didn't really or didn't make you know or didn't make the team or make it to campus or whatever so how how much do you think that's going to affect the offensive line? Um, I know most people are expecting it to be towards the bottom of the league again, but to me it seems like they had two really good players in center, Aaron Brewer and tackle Tristan Miserak, who uh, represented the program there in New Orleans at media day. It, it was if, – of all the people to, I guess, not make the team, the offensive linemen, Anthony Mays and, and Pesa Tupa, who were both uh, JUCO transfers, uh, kind of hurt the most, especially uh, Mays because he was pegged as being a, a starter. He didn't join the team because he was, uh, quote, physically unable to perform, and Pesa Tupa, another JUCO transfer, failed to qualify academically. So that being said, of course we have Aaron Brewer and we have uh, Miserak on the line, uh, who are essentially the veterans of the line. And so hopefully uh, Aaron Brewer is moving from guard to center. Uh, he moved around quite a bit uh, last year. And hopefully some of these young guys that we do have uh, step up. Because the offensive line, I mean, I mean, there's no, there's no way around it. Uh, the offensive line is the biggest concern we got, we were undersized and just got bullied around a lot last year on both sides of the ball in the trenches. And we needed all the help we could get. So what we have is what we have. The talent that is on the team is, is pretty good. The majority of the team, uh, uh there was a, uh, article in the, uh, SWC roundup that showed the, uh, weight gains of all the players on the team and the majority of them were players that are on the defensive and offensive line and it was very promising because a lot of them got way bigger during the offseason which is a is, is great news that being said the offensive line is far from where we want it to be but it is far from what it was last year which is a good thing because last year's offensive line was just it, it was hard to watch. Yeah, speaking of those weight gains, it's good to see that, that it appears that that strength and conditioning program is working and that they're getting the players, you know, pretty much ready to go. And with but what we talked about, with maybe having to play a true freshman quarterback and have some young skilled players, if you don't have that offensive line fixed, it can, it can just get really ugly. So I think they're making good strides there. I believe they got a new offensive line coach this season. So we'll see what he can do. Move on and talk about really what are the fans' expectations for this coming fall and then really what are their expectations for Withers in this program as we move down the line maybe five years down the road? Where do you think fans see this program in the next coming years? Well, starting off with Everett Withers, uh, his mentality is very uh, straightforward. Uh, he knows what he wants from his players. He wants them not only to win, but to be consistent on the field, consistent everywhere else. It's actually refreshing to see a coaching staff who are striving to do 
the best they can, just get better every day. This season is going to be another just, it's going to be a rebuilding season. A lot of fan posts that I've read on various uh, forums and on Twitter, you know, have have them going anywhere from 1 to 11 to winning upwards of 4 to 5 games. I have, I personally have them pegged at about 4 to 5 games myself. Like I said, it's still rebuilding, still getting the talent ready, still trying to figure out who can do what for us. There's a lot of players on the team that are switch, that have switched positions from what they were in high school to so now at Texas State. And so, you know, it just all depends on the momentum towards the end of the season. It always seems to be a, a watermark for how the, the next season will go. So if we can actually, you know, upset a couple of people towards the end, I know we have some big games against – uh, Arkansas State, Georgia State, and Troy at the end of the season. If we can at least play them tough or at least get an upset, I think that it will carry over into 2018 uh, as a good sign. And then uh, just continue building on these young players, keep recruiting. And I think if they have a really good showing, really show a lot of potential, uh, expectations for 2018 should be high. Um, a lot of these young players are going to be looking uh, looking at these upperclassmen or just veterans, these transfers uh, for leadership. So as, as long as there is leadership among the team and they keep uh, – they have a hashtag on Twitter, uh, trust the path. If they can just continue down this path that they want to go and, and everything. I think Everett Withers could have a winning season in year three and – I think they'll be at year four and at year five. I would say the majority of, of Texas State fans would would love to see the same coaching staff, you know, or the majority of it, you know, five years from now. Well, that's good then that, you know, the withers that he has most of the, the like, the fan support. And I know they I think they realize that they're just going to have to be patient through this, through this process, through this coaching transition. But for me, I, I just see with the Sunbelt going to divisions and Texas State going to be in the western side of that division, the perennial favorite you got to think going forward is going to be Arkansas State. But then I think the other four programs there, Texas State, ULM, South Alabama, uh, Louisiana, Lafayette, are really kind of jockeying to become that next, I guess, contender that's really going to challenge Arkansas State every year. And Texas State, the way with the way they're recruiting, if you look a few years down the road, they might potentially have the best roster in this division then. So are, do you, are Texas State fans, you think, expecting big things once they can you know gather a bunch of good recruiting classes and maybe eventually go after a division title and maybe even win the Sun Belt Conference Championship? Well, the great thing about the Sun Belt is that it, it, it always seems like uh, there's always things that are just unexpected. There's teams like, of course, Appalachian State, Arkansas State, uh, the Troys that are right now they're dominant. But you have teams like Georgia State, Georgia Southern, uh, Texas State, of course, who are, uh, you know, trying to get up there, uh, that top tier of the Sun Belt. Uh, Texas State fans should be excited. Uh, we do have a chance. It's a it's a conference that's not wide open but there's potential to to move up uh it's a very sunbelt is it is talked about somewhat but i feel that our our teams can you know upset any of the p5 schools that they play and there's just a lot of competitive play texas state we have we have the the resources we have the staff we have the players just takes a little bit you know time like you said uh, earlier about being patient but we I, I believe we do have a chance to really make a mark in the Sun Belt Conference and I feel like you know that year that year four if Withers can pull out a winning season in year three. That year four and five could potentially be a you know, Sun Belt championship team. 
Yeah, because I think for the program that should be the goal moving forward. I don't see why not if they can keep recruiting at this level. And now they just really got to develop the players they get. And now that they've had some of these players with some playing experience and two years in the system, we'll really just get to see how Withers and his staff do in developing talent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it's it's all about uh, just trying to, uh, I guess, find their identity as a team. And uh, the majority of the schools are in the Sun Belt are are searching for their identity. They're trying to take down the big dogs, and it's it's actually fun to see the competitiveness between all these schools. And and just off a side note, I hope I get to see some of these teams become you know potential rivals with each other. And so you know as the as as the years go as these next couple of years seasons go on. Hopefully uh, that happens and, and Texas State uh, improves and gets to join the upper echelon of the Sun Belt. We'll kind of talk about some of the recent pieces uh, you have wrote here at the site, Underdog Dynasty. If you had, Those listening, if you hadn't checked those out yet, be sure you do. As He's really giving you a good update of what's going on down there at Texas State. First off, that new logo that came out, what were your thoughts on that? I believe it was a secondary logo that they're going to be rocking down there. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, it's a secondary logo. A lot of uh, the misconception that it was going to uh, replace the the super cat logo, which is the the head, the cat head that we have, uh, but it's not. It's just to supplement it. It's not even replacing the the main typeface of the of the athletics department. It's just the secondary logo. Um, a lot of fan reaction. It's been fifty fifty. A lot of people don't like it. A lot of people love it. I, I I like it. I like it. I like the it's it's a good secondary logo. I even tweeted to the athletic department that I liked it and to send me some free merchandise. But we'll see what happens with that. And uh, you know I, I I like the logo. I think it's bold. It stands out. Uh, their goal was to uh, I guess uh, pay homage to the old uh, Southwest Texas. Uh, logo that we had before the name change, and um, I, I I think they did a good job on it. But I think it'll grow on people when when the name when Southwest Texas changed to Texas State, and we adopted the Supercat head as our logo. A lot of people didn't like it, but here we are in 2017, and people love that logo. So I think just time needs to go by a little bit. I think people will embrace it. Yeah, I think for any new logo like that, it usually takes time for fan bases to kind of adjust because they're used to something for so long. But I, when anything like this, it's secondary logo, it's going to be able to get some more gear out there. And that logo, I liked it personally, and I think it's going to be something that recruits like too, just to have something extra and maybe that allows them to have an extra jersey or an extra helmet in the future that could potentially help them recruiting. So. Anything, anytime you're doing that, it, some, it's good news to get out. It's something different. It catches eyeballs. So anything you could, anytime you can draw some publicity to your program, I think that's a good deal for everybody involved. You wrote a recent piece, what I'd like to see Texas State accomplish in 2017. And uh, there were some bullet points you touched in there. First one, as we kind of touched on already, is the offensive line improvement. Do you think that that offensive line play will be a lot better this year or just a little bit better? Or really, what are you just just looking for um, from that group of big uglies up front? I, I think it'll be a whole lot better. And the reason I say that is because it has to be. It was such a – it was the thing that stuck out the most last year. It was the thing that – it was the most obvious point of, of concern and, and, and something that uh, – you know, needs improvement. Uh, I think it'll be a whole lot better this year. Mentality and the players are just a whole lot better this year. They're, uh, uh, they've been spending a lot of time together trying to, I guess they spend a lot of time outside of uh, uh, Brian London at the Sunbelt Media Days. Uh, ex- uh, said that they spend a lot of time together. They're trying, uh, uh, excuse me, not Brian London, uh, Miserac. Uh, Tristan Misrak, right, uh, right. the offensive lineman. They said that they spend a lot of time together. They do a lot of things, uh, both uh, in and out of uh, the football realm, trying to uh, gel together. 
see a, I see a lot of stuff on Twitter of them, you know, spending time and all that. And I think it'll be a whole lot better than it was last year because they just seem a lot they, they seem a lot uh, more of a cohesive unit than they did last year. Last year they were constantly moving people around, just switching positions and just trying to get a feel of what the players could do. And I think that I, I think they've done a really a really good job down there. The offensive line coach Eric Mateos has done a really good job of getting those guys to to get together and uh, I, th- I think they'll do way better this year than they did last year. I agree with you. I really like Aaron Brewer. I think he might be the best center in the Sun Belt. Miserak is serviceable at that tackle spot. It is just finding answers to that three spot. But like you said, it can't get much worse than it was last year. And they should improve those other positions as guys are just getting a year older, uh, bigger, stronger. I still think it probably will be towards the bottom of Sun Belt offensive lines, but. They'll be more competitive and be able to hold their own more going into this season. And then we'll move on to the next point. You said a 1,000-yard skill player that you like to see. Obviously, losing leading rusher Stephen Mayberry hurts, who ran for nearly 600 yards last year. Um, so our, our best answer may be uh, right receiver Elijah King, the senior, six foot two, one ninety. 190. He uh, posted – 453 yards on only 20-something catches. Looks like it was 16.2 average. So, if he can get – if Williams can get in there, and uh, I would assume King would be his top target, I think that's a realistic goal for this fall is for King to get those 1,000 yards receiving. King is uh, – he'll be playing uh, mainly on the uh, uh, the outside of the receiver position, and he'll, pro- he'll be the number one, I'm sure – for Damian Williams, uh, as far as the thousand-yard skills player, uh, they're going to be mainly running a you know run run control offense. There's so many players uh, they're going to have at the running back position to choose from. I highly doubt there'll be a thousand-yard rusher. So, at, as you said, I think in my mind, Elijah King is going to be if anyone's going to crack a thousand yards, it, it should be him. He's got the speed. He's got the hands. Uh, his drop his drop rate is very low. His catch rate is very high. The passes that were thrown to him in 2016, uh, I believe they were on uh, it was like a 76.4% target percentage. So uh, if Damian Williams can get the protection, or whoever is behind the center can get the protection uh, that they need and the time uh, to be able to get it out there. The, the Texas State uh, wide receivers are very – they're very underrated. They're very fast. There's a couple of big guys. Uh, get the you know get the ball in their hands. They can they can take it the distance. They can get to the yards. They can get up there and, and you know get those jump balls. And uh, but I believe if anyone can do it on the on the Texas State team, I think it's Elijah King that can get a thousand yards this season. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and I think. You know, we got to get Williams on the field first, but I think that could be a nice connection uh, between the two seniors there, Williams and King, on the mm-hmm. outside. And then you, you spoke of uh, or wrote about uh, the tailgate epidemic there at Bobcat Stadium. Uh, if you could just kind of describe to us the tailgate scene there and then what are, what are the issues that uh, need fixing by the Texas State fan base? As far as our tailgates go, it's, uh, we get an A-plus on that. A lot of people come out. A lot of people, even the, the uh, opposing team, the opposing teams who play, they travel very well. Any tailgate you go to, you'll see the, you know, the other team's fans. You'll see us out there. Everyone's having a good time. Uh, but the problem happens when uh, tailgate ends. And, uh, you know, students, the students get into the game for free. But the majority of them just kind of, you know, head off the other direction, go off to wherever, hit up a pool party, go to some house party, whatever they're going to do afterwards, and that's the big, the big issue. I mean, the alumni and the older fan base and the people who've been buying season tickets are, are good about going at the games, but it's just that you know, the students show up certain games, and we only sell out if we're playing a bigger team who book. You know the casual Texas State fan wants to go see play, and then, the, of course, the uh, opposing team's fan base that travels. So 
it, it's kind of disheartening and I hope that trend changes and I hope this, you know, it's not only a culture change on the football team, but a culture change at the school. The school has only been Texas State for about 14 years, but it, I think it's been enough time that, you know, I do see, you know, a lot more people on Twitter and Facebook showing a lot more Texas State pride and, and people putting that they're, you know, I got in, I get, I'm going to enroll, you know, I got accepted, and they're really excited about it, which is, uh, you know, a far cry away from when I went to school. It was, it was during that transition of the name change, and you still saw a lot of Aggie and Texas Longhorn gear being worn on the school, but now they have drives where they, you know, you can trade in those other schools' T-shirts and get a Texas State shirt, but as far as the football games are concerned, we're one of the biggest schools in the university, but our attendance is laughable, and I hope it changes. I mean, I, I, I try to go to every game as I could, and, and then after I graduated, I go to almost every game, and hopefully the, the trend changes. Because it's, yeah, like I said it's before, it's really disheartening and no excuse. If you're a student and you love football, you should go to the game. It's Texas. That's what we're known for. Yeah, you speak of Bobcat Stadium's 30,000-seat stadium. Looks like that home Withers' home opener against Houston uh, it was a packed house. We set the record crowd there at the stadium. But then towards the end of the year, when they closed against Troy and Arkansas State, it was – pretty pretty dead there so are is the is the administration doing anything to try to get the students in there or try to bring in more fans or is it just like it's the game come to the game are they trying to really market it or sell it to help with Um, with that participation i see a lot of hashtags on twitter about pack the wacker jim wacker field's the name of the the field at bobcat stadium and i guess they try to reach out on social media but Outside, you know, it always starts out every year. Uh, we play the non-conference games. We play the big games. And, of course, to a packed house. And as you said, towards the end, if especially if it's if it's going to be a losing season and, you know, there's no bowl, there's no whatever at the end, it usually goes downhill at the end. And um, I, I honestly haven't seen anything being done as far as, you know, the people above – the football staff to try to get people in there. Like you said, the last game was against Arkansas state. That was senior night. And it was probably the saddest senior night I've ever seen in my life. I mean, there was, it was a nationally televised game and I'm looking out from the press box and I can count the number of people I see. And it was, yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, it wasn't a very good feeling as a Bobcat fan. I'd like to see, more emphasis put on to students to go to these games. Uh, there are, I mean, not to take away from the fans that do go to the games. There's a lot of, you know, fanatics out there, including myself who go to these games and act like maniacs and they cheer for the game, no matter what the record of the score is. I'd like to see more of the, the higher ups do something about it. I know that, our football team is not as established uh, as far as popularity as the, the A&Ms and the UTs and uh, the Texas Techs, but, you know, we have the potential to do that. We're in a great area. We're in a great part of the state. We're in this corridor between San Antonio and Austin, and I know there's UT and UT San Antonio, but, you know, we have all this potential. There's so many football fans out there, and I just think that the – athletic department needs to really dig their claws in there and they need to really find ways of bringing people to the stadium uh, especially disgruntled uh, alumni from the southwest texas days there seems to be a division and i just hope that they can find a way to satisfy them satisfy the the students now they just come out to the games like it's the team it's the school if you went to it, no matter if whatever it was called, it doesn't really matter. Come out to the games. Uh, it's a great atmosphere. It's a great environment. Everyone's friendly. I just hope they can, you know, mend the that problem. Yeah, I think a lot of that, Vidal, is just you hear it all the time. But just once 
the team starts winning, everybody will buy in and get there. The stadium's a really nice looking stadium. And it's just getting getting the people there and seeing a winning product, I think will fix a lot of those issues. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. I think uh, win a you know win a few big games, maybe a couple of upsets here and there. Uh, I think a big important game this year is is going to be not only the uh, you know the Sun Belt games against the you know our Sun Belt games, but you know it's going to be these non conference games that we got against Houston Baptist and UTSA that are really going to set the tone for the season. Yeah, that actually transitions to our next point. Those are in, you know, Texas, other Texas schools, so it's going to be kind of large for, you know, Texas State. They really you have to win Houston Baptist one to really put up a good showing against the guys from San Antonio who are making the trip down. But um, you wrote about just – you didn't care if – you said in the, the quote or in the article, you said you didn't care if the team went 1-11 if that one win was against UTSA. Is that for somebody that's not there and not you know from that area? How big is that rivalry, or is it just something that was made since they both went kind of both programs kind of went FBS at the same time? When I was in school, we didn't. Uh, of course, UTSA didn't have a football team. Our rivals were Sam Houston, Stephen F. Austin, Nichols State. Uh, so those were like the rivalry games we looked really looked forward to as. You know, Texas State, uh, UTSA fielded a team, and we already had a rivalry with them in the other sports, basketball, baseball, softball, volleyball, et cetera, and even had a, you know, it, it, based on how many games you won that year between all the teams, you know, the winner would be declared the, you know, I-35. Since, you know, a lot of, uh, the majority of Bobcat alumni didn't go to school with UTSA as their rival, but... Uh, I think this is a really great rivalry. It's a it's a a new team uh, that they're trying to find their footing. We're an established team, but as far as being in the big leagues, we're trying to find our footing as well. So, what better rival to have than someone who's basically in your uh, you know area of competitiveness and size and not that far away from each other? And from what I see on social media, Texas State UTSA fans are constantly going at it with each other. Uh, one drop of bad news, and the other school, you know, makes fun of them and all that stuff. And I think I think it's great. I think it's great. And I hope that this rivalry keeps going on past the seven-game contract that we signed, because I think it's essential to Texas uh, football, uh, college football in Texas. Uh, we don't have the Longhorn A&M rivalry anymore, and you know there's potential to have some more Texas rivals to you know really fill that that void. And more and more people are going to Texas State, and more and more people are going to UT San Antonio. So I think it's a very it's a very exciting rivalry. And I've you know I went to school not even thinking about UTSA, but you know I'm out of school and. We played them in football, and they beat us in 2012 in a really close game. And it was a very heated environment for a game that was being played for the first time. I mean, the fans were just so into it, and they're so rabid about it. And I think that this could be one of the top rivals rivalries in the state. And I'm I'm looking forward to it. And I know that the UTSA writers and our staff are looking forward to it. And I I think it'll be just Hopefully it'll be a good game. In the long run, I hope this becomes a very competitive and long-standing rivalry. Yeah, I believe the schools are only like 50 miles apart, so it, it just makes sense that programs are pretty much on the same level that that these two kind of play each other every year and kind of create an organic rivalry series. It's, it's, very, it's, it's a very uh, obvious choice for a rivalry because there's not really – we're the two, uh, I mean, we're closer to UT, but of course we don't play them. And so it just makes sense for us to play UTSA, you know, as a, as a rivalry game. Uh, it was a shame that we only played them once in conference play when we were both in the WAC. But it, it showed the potential of what a UTSA-Texas State rivalry game uh, can, can really bring to the table. 
And so we'll, we'll wrap it up here, Vidal. Um, just kind of we'll go through the schedule. You said I believe you said four and eight is what you're kind of expecting from the program this fall. Yes. Okay. So how many of those victories do you think are going to happen in the Sun Belt? Well, uh, in my heart of hearts, um, I'm hoping that the the well the the non-conference schedule, the two wins we get are Houston Baptist and hopefully UTSA. If not UTSA. Uh, than maybe Wyoming. Um, as for the two conference wins, I would say we have a pretty good chance against, I think, Louisiana, Monroe. And I think if we can't knock off New Mexico at homecoming in San Marcos, I'd almost have to say that the, one of the last three games of the season, we'd get an upset by some some way of a team sleeping on us. i I, I don't, I'd say two non-conference wins and then the two Sun Belt wins would be against Monroe and one of the last three games of the season, which would be Georgia State, Arkansas State, or Troy. I know that's a big, that's a tall order, but I feel that if there's any opportunity to gain some momentum uh, into 2018, it's either beat one of these teams or to at least show them that we're we're not a joke and that we can we can play with the best of them. When I look at the schedule, first of all, goal number one for the program should be to break this Sun Belt losing streak. Of course, they went 0-8 last year, and they just need to they need to get a win on, a bo- on the board. And if they could do that early, and then when, I, when I'm saying early, that October 7th matchup when ULM comes to Bobcat Stadium is going to be a big one mm-hmm. for Texas State. And then as we move on down the schedule – that three-game stretch of at Coastal Carolina after the bye, New Mexico State homecoming there on November 4th, and then Georgia State hosts the Panthers there on November 11th. That's a that's a three-game stretch where all three of those games are winnable. So mm-hmm. I think that three-game stretch is really going to kind of tell the season. If they can win all three, they might be looking at a 5-7. and seven. If they lose all three, they're probably looking at, you know, like a 2-10 and 10 or a 3-9. and nine. So I think yeah, I, I think that's the big part, and that's going to be a game where some of those freshmen that they're playing early that take their lumps are going to be more experienced and that they can really probably play in and make some plays and gain some confidence in that helps them grow and really try to kind of prepare to what could be a big 2018. I agree. That is, it's a very important uh, stretch of games. Coastal Carolina, even though they're, they're new to the – so the conference, I'm I'm not gonna sleep on them. They're, uh, I know they just recently, uh, they're not gonna. It was announced they were not gonna have their head coach for the 2017 season, but they're still a formidable opponent. Uh, their defense is is pretty good, and it's not a guaranteed win, even though um, on paper it should be, but it's not. New Mexico State. I always under you know underestimated them every year, and then last year they just destroyed us, putting up 28 points in the first quarter and beating us uh, 50 to 10, I believe. And then the Georgia State game, they're always a very good opponent, but you know it's a it's a winnable game. So hopefully, you know at at uh, best case scenario at least get one game out of that because that's going to mean the you know the, it's going to mean the season pretty much because like i said outside of the houston baptist game i mean that's a pretty good chance we're going to win that game so any of these games that we can be competitive in but like you said that's a very important three game stretch because then after that we got to go to arkansas state then we got to go to troy and uh, those are not going to be easy games, but if we can get some momentum going, maybe we can show these guys uh, what we're made of at Arkansas State and Troy, and hopefully, uh, if not come out with the win, uh, scare them a bit. It's just this team's going to take their lumps. I feel like in those first seven games, it's going to be how they how they adjust after that bye week, and if they can play some inspired football and, and get some wins there at the end of the season to uh, build towards a big 2018. And one final thing we'll leave with, Brian London is one of my favorite players 
in this conference, 140-something tackles last year. Just how much do uh, the fans there at Texas State uh, like him, and do they feel like he's going to be like a future NFL draft pick? I think he has the potential. I mean, he wasn't chosen to to represent the Bobcats at the media days for for nothing. He's a very uh, very special player. He's a he's relentless. He's a ball hawk. He just you know this this guy's going to be. It's it's funny that we we talk about in Texas State football. We constantly talk about the offensive line. We talk about the whole quarterback situation and what players are coming back, but. Uh, when it comes down to it, the player that we do have him and, and Gabe Lloyd is is uh, the other linebacker. They're very. It's a very good linebacking core, one of the best in the Sun Belt, if not the the best. And Brian Linden is, as far as his NFL chances, if he can produce like he did last year, but not only in numbers, but also like in uh, you know production as far as like tackles for losses or just stopping that run. Uh, I think he'll he'll have a good future as he becomes you know uh, a veteran of this team and then uh, after in an NFL uniform and I think he's got a lot of potential. I definitely agree. I think he's really going to make a lot of plays this year, and then I think he could really be something special his junior season once the Bobcats mm-hmm. really become a lot more competitive. But we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Vidal, where can the people find you at on Twitter? Oh, I am on Twitter at uh, at Vidal underscore Espinosa, and that's Espinosa with a Z. Yeah, that's where you can find me. And then, of course, you can find me, Adam Luckett, at Adam Luckett, B-O-S. It's Luckett with two Ts. And Vidal, thanks for coming on, my man. It was really good to have oh, you on the podcast. we got to have to do this again in the near future. Oh, of course, of course. Thank you, Adam, for having me on. It was, it was very fun. Uh having all my notes here and trying to, you know, answer the questions and, you know, who gets me thinking about football even more and can't wait for the season to start and can't wait to, you know, see all the articles from, you know, everyone on the underdog dynasty staff. Uh, we have a bunch of great writers and it's always exciting to see, uh, at, you know, see viewpoints from other schools that I would normally never have even thought of. It's, it's very refreshing to see so many people passionate about all these schools. Absolutely. We're only a few weeks away, and like Vidal mentioned, the one good thing about our site is that since we cover so many schools, we've got a lot of people on staff with a lot of different viewpoints and writing styles. So it's definitely something interesting to when you go and look at our site. So make sure you're checking out uh, everybody at Underdog Dynasty and stay tuned as – we're going to continue this podcast series for the Sun Belt. So once again, Vidal, thanks, my man. You have a good one. Oh, thank you, Adam. Thank you. All right, I'll see you later, people.